0: If you have a brain, you have bias, so let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity, because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens.
1: When you feel comfortable with your external self, whether that's the way you dress or, or literally, you know, physiological symptoms, if we can address those, they don't feel like your life has been interrupted. And you certainly don't feel like this loss of agency and helplessness, you feel like you can manage and you can be in control.
0: And that for me is about controlling the narrative of your own life. Today, Consciously Unbiased co-founder and creative director, Karen Rye, virtually sits down with Stacey London, CEO of the State of Menopause. This conversation is an important one that we don't think gets enough attention. They cover why we need to change how a woman's value has been largely tied to youth and fertility, why menopause needs a rebranding, how the medical community can better address this life stage for all women, not just white women, Stacy's career journey from TV co-host on What Not to Wear to CEO, how women in middle age and beyond can fully step into their wisdom and power. Now, on to their conversation.
2: Stacey, your career spanned from being a magazine editor, stylist—I love that show, by the way—and a celebrity spokesperson for brands such as Pantene, Willite, and Dr. Scholl's. What made you decide to take on the role as CEO of the State of Menopause?
1: Um, Well, I think there were a couple of things. Right, I have been out of television for about five years now, and. I had gone out in 2018 to LA to pitch a different kind of transformation show, really one based on what I think was dovetailing with what I felt was an existential crisis about being in middle age and wanting to find a way to turn that crisis into a renaissance and to be able to... While helping other people, um, you know, find my own kind of path and sense of peace around not just aging, not just menopause, but what it means to look at a lifespan in totality, recognize that it is now much longer uh, than it used to be, that we are going to be older much longer than we're going to be young. And this idea that we're somehow you know, not only dealing with sort of the personal crisis of of change, both physical and mental and psychological, but that um, we have such a heavy price or or we value the price of youth so much. And we totally devalue the price of wisdom. And so I wanted to create a show that was- I love that. And I was roundly rejected. Roundly told that it was not interesting. Nobody would, you know, was really interested in middle-aged women, which also made me feel like, wow, I guess my my television career is kind of coming to an end um, because, you know, there are not that many middle-aged women with very robust unscripted television shows unless they throw tables or, you know, bitch about each other or they're Oprah or Ellen, right? I mean, that the you know these were That's the options, sure. and and I don't really fit into any of those silos, so. Um, I got, you know, really sad about that. I I was very disappointed. Um, And at the same time, I had had pretty extensive spine surgery uh, at the end of 2016. And in 2017, January of 2017. So I had the surgery December of 2016, had the surgery, um, then got my period twice in January of 2017 and Uh never saw it again. It was like, bye-bye, baby. And uh, no pun intended there, but- um, (laughs) But what I realized oh. was that you know, I thought that I was having um, uh, so really deep clinical depression based on having had the surgery that anything okay. to do with the heart, the spine, the brain um, feels like the body is dying, and there are psychological repercussions from that and but then I started my my father got very sick, and I took care of him with my family for about eight months until he passed away. And when wow. he passed away, I started to develop what I thought were the same symptoms that he had because I was grieving. I was in a terrible, mm. terrible state of grief. And so I was having heart palpitations. I started to get food allergies. I mean, things that weren't, weren't you know, he, he died of a heart disease, but but he he, I would just mimic his symptoms. He would get a rash, I would get a rash. All of these weird things. It never occurred to me that between the surgery and the loss of my father, that these symptoms, so to speak, were either being exaggerated by the feelings of grief and pain, um, and that I was experiencing perimenopause, or perimenopause was actually mimicking the symptoms or you know, exaggerating the symptoms of pain and grief. I have no idea. But what I never put together was that they were perimenopausal, right? Um, I had no... Previous understanding of perimenopause I never thought it was going to happen to me because it just not that I was like somehow special <laughs> simply that I just it was not in my realm of consciousness and you know my mom had a radical hysterectomy and even after that she never talked wow. to me about menopause she talked to me about burning her bra you know in you know in the fight of for feminism but this is not a conversation that is really being had by parents of our generation, of the Gen X generation. Yeah. And totally. I think that that responsibility is starting to fall on us. So long story long, um, during the pandemic, I really started to think about what it is that I wanted to do. I had been trying to write a book on aging. And after my dad died, it felt much more like an autobiography about grief, which I didn't feel ready to write. Um, and I was like, God, you know, the, the world is stopping and I'm I'm 51 years old. I'm going to be around for a while if I'm lucky. What am I doing with my time? And, you know, throughout my career, I studied uh, German philosophy, psychology, and literature in college. I, you know, learned how to style with the greatest editors of all time at Vogue magazine. I went back to be a senior fashion editor at Mademoiselle magazine Uh, And then when I got fired from Mademoiselle, when a new editor-in-chief came in, I started to work um, on styling, but things that weren't so glamorous, right? Things like uh, kids' juice commercials or bank commercials or where I had to learn to dress real people, where I had to learn to dress men, where I had to learn to dress kids and be fast on my feet and think about mm, styling in a very different way. And so when I got the call to audition for What Not to Wear it was sort of a no-brainer. They were looking for somebody who had been an editorial, who had styled celebrities, who did know how to dress real people, and who could talk a lot without a script. I mean, (laughs) it was like, oh, that's my resume. Um, So, And when I got to What Not to Wear, I thought, oh my God, everything that I've done up until this point has set me up for success in this moment. And after 10 years of that and doing... Many other shows, and being a correspondent for The Today Show, and doing things for Oprah, and a correspondent for Access Hollywood, and being the spokesperson for all these things, it sort of all made me burn out, right? I mean, after about 13 years of straight shooting, um, I definitely needed a break. And what I also didn't realize was that I had developed psoriatic arthritis, which, again, you know, I. I, when I yeah. list all of my maladies, I think that people are like, oh, does she just want to participate in every cause? I'm like, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, these, I have autoimmune diseases. I had an eating disorder. I have body dysmorphia. I'm like batshit crazy. I was crazy to begin you're, with. But, you're not, um, you're just like everybody else. I'm like just not talk about it. <laughs> now that I realize what it's all about, I realize I'm just like everybody else. But, but at the time, you know, even, even while I was experiencing a lot of these things, I really did feel very ashamed. And I felt very ashamed when my mood started to change and my sleeping started to change after the surgery. And during the pandemic, I was approached by a company that had just started, started the brand State of Menopause. Oh, and they okay. asked me to be a beta tester. And cool. I was a very noisy beta, beta tester. And I, <laughs> I, had, I had comments about everything. And I was like, this doesn't work because of this. And this doesn't feel right because of that. And so when that parent company decided to shift gears and move into software, um, they didn't want these brands to disappear. And so I acquired oh. the lion's share of equity because I believe in the products. I helped make those products. And I didn't want to see that company disappear. And I thought, okay. I have been sitting with myself during the pandemic trying to figure out what is my seed of truth. And what is true throughout my entire career is that I've always been concerned with self, self-acceptance, self-awareness and self-esteem. And I never felt more crushed than when I was in perimenopause because I felt such a loss of identity, such a loss of agency. There, I didn't know where to turn, who to talk to. Part of me felt like I was crazy, dismissed my own symptoms, did not recognize the longer term health implications of menopause. And when I started working on this company, I started to really dig into the fact that you know, they had built it, yes, and they had built it for perimenopausal women between 40 mm-hmm. and 60. And okay. I felt very strongly as a, as a skincare brand. And I felt very strongly, well, this is not just about skincare and our roadmap for where I want to take this company is certainly not about skincare. We are not an anti-aging company. I am completely pro-aging. I am anti-discomfort of the symptoms that people experience in perimenopause. And what I also realized is that it's not just 40 to 60 year olds. It's It could be a 28 year old who has radical hysterectomy or breast cancer or endometriosis or premature ovarian failure, or it could be an issue of gender uh, while you're transitioning for a trans woman. And none of these things were being talked about. None of the language was inclusive. All of it seemed like, we're sorry. It's okay. You'll get better. We, you know, we got you. And to me it all felt really condescending because I, you know, as my friend, Margaret Detweiler, who is the head of two night will would say is like, we are, I'm a grown ass lady. I don't want to be talked to like, um, uh, I'm being condescended to, I know that menopause is hard, but I also know that it isn't hopeless. And now I know I'm not helpless. And so having done a ton of research to me, there was an aspect of this that is just like styling right? It's that if you, if you can manipulate the external, you can manipulate the internal psychology around it. And the same way that I would dress somebody differently in order for them to see and believe themselves differently. I thought, well, that's what I'm going to do with symptoms. I'm going to create a line of rapid relief, grab from your nightstand or your medicine cabinet products that help you in the moment of distress and discomfort. And if you feel more comfortable, you're going to look more comfortable. You're going to feel a whole lot better, and that is really what the point of the company is. It's a it has a real basis in my ethos about when you feel comfortable with your external self, whether that's the way you dress or or literally, you know, physiological symptoms. If we can address those, they don't feel like your life has been interrupted, and you certainly don't feel like. This loss of agency and helplessness, you feel like you can manage and you can be in control. And that for me is about controlling the narrative of your own life. That's what I want for the people who you know use these products.
2: That's amazing. I actually really love the pro-aging because I think every time that I've seen something when it's been speaking to me through my course of this, right. I'm always like, but I'm not upset. I'm aging. Yeah, I want to age. You know, I, this is this is what I've been waiting for: is this wisdom and this feeling of of agency in my life. I finally actually feel that. Like I'll say whatever the fuck I want now, and exactly. I feel fucking
1: great about it. Exactly. So I mean, I'm I wrote an article. Aging. Yeah, when I when I was 47, I wrote an article about how my style had changed since What Not to wear um, for Refinery 29. And, you know, what I kept saying is like, you know, my pockets are filled with fewer and fewer fucks. Like, I don't (laughs) care if you want me to be the woman that I was on What Not To Wear. That is not my whole identity. And it's been very hard for people to see me in another way, which was also Mm -hmm. another radical reason for me to radically pivot, um, you know, from being a a stylist or a television personality into running a company because, one – I want to be the symbol. I want to be the embodiment of a woman who is middle-aged, who takes control and changes her life and changes that narrative into something that can be, um, you know, an example for, for other people to look at and say, hey, like, you know, uh, the, the lowest point of happiness, apparently, um, mostly in women's lives, is mm-hmm. between 45 and 59. And I understand that. I think that it's not just about menopause. And I think, again, we have to talk about the difference between menopause and aging, Um, the price our society, you know, the value that our society puts Mm, on youth and wealth and thinness and things that make us at this age feel culturally irrelevant. You don't have to leave a television show to feel that way. Um, And I think that, you know, one of the biggest things for me was this idea that both at this age and In this physiological state that I could do both, that I could talk about both, that they don't need to be conflated, that people should not be reduced to their reproductive health. This is a much more overarching lens, uh, you know, which I think is quite patriarchal in the way that we look at women's health.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: mm-hmm. we, as women and as people, don't know enough about it because we mm-hmm. have been relegated to taking a a, a cis, you know, male gendered um, view of what our health looks like. And oh, we're seeing yeah. less and mm-hmm. less of that. But for sure, um, you know, this is this is a very very you know new industry. It's a it's a new industry and it's a new way to look at our own health lives and what we are able to do uh, knowing more information, right? That's also part of my is to arm you with information and education for you to make choices about your own decisions. And there's a huge rise right now in the use of HRT and bioidenticals. Hormones are back in a big way. And that's great. But hormones aren't going to stop you from having menopause. They may make it easier. (laughs)
2: But <laughs> well, it slows it down for a it,
1: period of time. And then I wonder always, like, what are the repercussions of that? Right? I mean, less I and less, I, I think they're, you know, they were really demonized. If you, um I, I do talk a lot about Dr. Jen Gunter's book, The Menopause Manifesto, right? because I think she does an excellent job of explaining the history, the physiology of all the stages of menopause, but also talks a lot about how you know, hormones were demonized uh, really in the 80s and 90s, even in the early 2000s, and that now they are coming back with new data Mm -hmm. to say they are much safer, you know, depending on your genealogy and and all sorts of things. But there are a lot more options for women. And my feeling is all of that is great. You want to take hormones, great. If you're worrying about aging, have the facelift, do the Botox. I don't care. What I care about is that if you are experiencing discomfort in the moment, even if you're taking hormones, you might have a hot flash. Even if you're taking hormones, you might find that your sex drive is low. These are How things are not only we should be talking about, but there needs yeah. to be an over-the-counter rescue remedy, right? I mean, not to, yes. you know, rescue <laughs> remedy is actually a brand, but, you know, that idea of um, you have Advil when you have headaches and you have right. Neosporin when you get a cut, you have Band-Aids to put over that cut. This should be what you're reaching for that is easy, that is, um, you know, economically feasible because I noticed that social justice is very important to us. Right. Um, And, you know, where it makes sense for us to donate product, we will to underserved communities. But I'm also well aware that in underserved communities, if you're in a domestic abuse shelter and you are trying to put, you know, food on the table for your children, you may not give a shit about having a hot flash, but those, some of those symptoms you know the brain fog, the insomnia, the anxiety, the depression, the mood swings, a lot of that stuff can affect women uh, or people, excuse me, adversely that may make it much more difficult for them to take care of their kids or to be in uh, right. you know, any kind of difficult situation. And, and that's the piece that I'm really trying to work out for the company. What is the best way Amazing. for us to give back? in a way that is sensible and, and makes a lot of sense for the communities that we're trying to reach. So we started with, you know, uh, uh, economic sustainability, um, and the products are leaping bunny certified because I think that's really essential at this point. They're gluten-free. I think that's very essential at this point. Uh, the, the, product, the packaging is recyclable. I think all of that is very important, mm. less important for Gen X than it is for generations that come after us who now, I think really uh, demand that level of clarity when it comes to any kind of over the counter product. But I think that more and more, it's not just our job to reach out to people who are experiencing menopausal symptoms uh, because of chronological age. We need to be talking to younger people who may come to menopause for all sorts of different reasons, and they should not feel excluded from this conversation. So I think their values, which are very much in keeping with the way that the company has been built, is just as important as reaching to the values of the chronological age people who come to menopause.
2: That makes total sense. What's the biggest
1: lesson that you've learned so far as being a CEO, different from the old life that you were leading? Oh my God, that it's not glamorous and it is fucking hard. And I wish that somebody had told me that I would like have to talk to three PLs about you know orders, back orders, and where is so and so. You know. Oh my who, god. And answering customer <laughs> ser- service emails and and figuring out our our social strategy and thinking about what colors we want to use on social as opposed to the packaging. And I mean, it could, some of this stuff could learning about venture deals and venture debt and uh, private equity. I mean, it is so fucking boring. I could cry. So, you know, but one of the things about it is that I, I believe so much in the need for this company. I believe so much in the products. I believe so much in the need and the desperation in this community that You know, I'm willing to do the boring stuff because somebody has to do it. And somebody who, like me, has had at least a little bit of time in the public eye and certainly has a platform from which to speak, I I feel like I have a responsibility to do that. The thing about it is, is that most of those people are like, fuck you, please style me or tell me what to wear. (laughs) <laughs> and at some point, listen, you know, I, I hope that our company is able to move into style at some point. I think that would be a real win for us and something that i I really foresee happening in the future. Um, and in the meantime, who knows? You know, maybe I'll do something else about style. but but it is with a lens. It is with the lens of this community in mind. And for me, that was the big aha moment. The big aha moment was, you're feeling these things, you're experiencing these things. If you share your truth, if you are transparent with where you're at, then people will have permission to share. Mm -hmm. And not just for me, but certainly that the idea of sharing requires a level of trust that I believe that I've earned, not just with this consumer, but with this community and for me, that that's the most important thing. I wouldn't break that trust for anything. So television would have to be in keeping with that. My product line has to be in keeping with that. I think that, you know, um, it's very funny. I don't know if you saw Bo Burnham's Inside. Have you seen that? I on did. Netflix? I loved it. Okay yeah. well he does a thing I I I loved it as well where he's like I'm a social media marketing yeah. person. Yeah. Now. and <laughs> yeah. I'm like oh my god did he watch my uh, my episode 2 of being a CEO when I'm like brands have to take a side and I was like I need to stop being so goddamn earnest cuz this is the shit that is funny and I was <laughs> like you know brands do need to take a, to, to take a side but it, in my opinion it's not just about You know, I mean, he was saying, like, how do you say that J.P. Morgan isn't racist, (laughs) right? You know, I mean, just all of these funny things. And I was like, God, I hope I don't sound like that. But at the same time, very much the brand DNA is about what what is reflective of, of, you know, the important values in our society today. And after a year with 600,000 deaths and social, racial and economic justice issues coming to the fore, you can't ignore that. Um, in the way that you build your brand, that doesn't mean that you have to be really earnest like me and be like brands should take a side. But I think that um, I do think it means that whatever you walk the walk is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You know, I can t- I can say a ton of shit and people can listen, yeah. but does the company if walk? Walk, the walk it.
2: Well, you do walk the walk. I mean, when I was researching this over the last week, I was thinking to myself, oh my, is this cream going to be $190 and it's completely inequitable? And trust me, I I know it. I do it myself. So, and then I went, I was like, oh shit, it's got good ingredients and it's 28 bucks. Yeah. This is dope. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to be earnest. You're you're
1: I don't. Right I actually don't. No, I think. I actually, just... I, think, I really do. I believe that um, things land better when they're funny. Right. And and menopause, yeah, totally. you know, that that is something we, we <laughs> are really is fucking funny. Right. If I mean, you we, really we, get in it. <laughs> You really, there is no other way to cope with something like this other than to be a little (laughs) bit sarcastic and, you know, self-effacing about it. Because I realized like, I, I I mean, you know, there were days where I, I, I just, I I went to my doctor because I thought I had Alzheimer's. Like, I couldn't believe that I could (laughs) not remember certain words. Oh, I
2: do it all the time.
1: And this still happens to me. And they're usually nouns apparently, but I mean, I will. Why is
2: that? I don't know. Um,
1: That's like a, I don't know. Oh shoot! Somebody, my friend, um, uh, Nina Lawrence Collins, told me, and That's I think, interesting. yes, I think it's incredibly She's writing interesting. That down. And I think that, um, but I really was terrified because I was like, "This is oh, this is not me." I have a memory like a steel trap. I can't remember what happened an hour ago, and it 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 is frightening to feel so many significant changes at once. And it is it is weird that, you know, whether you get a lot of people gain weight during menopause or they have a redistribution of weight. And what I hear all the time is about the menopause middle. And I'm like, girl, that's not going to happen to me, please. I have had a flat stomach my whole life. I gain weight, I lose weight, but I always have an hourglass figure. Not no more, not no more. Now I got this little pudgy tummy. And, you know, the thing is, like, that is something that if I was really going to, like, spend my time stressing over, which at one point of my, in my life I would have, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. And that mm. is just, you know, it is, again, there are all of these things that we think are cons, right? We think we put in the negative category because we've been taught to. Yeah, and, we've been told to do that, though. Absolutely. The idea of a man having a midlife crisis is they all about get getting a Porsche and hair plugs <laughs> and Viagra and a younger girlfriend. And, you know, women getting older, yeah. it's just like she's an old hag and a crone and like nobody wants to deal with her instead of really, you know, if you look at kind of matrilineal societies or anywhere mm-hmm. where women um, and those who are gender non-binary are re- revered for who they are and as they age become more revered you know i, I mean i could tie this all to capitalism but i won't but Maybe. i do you know i mean <laughs> that that, that, well, that, that feels like that feels like i might just write dust capital" in english you know what i mean like i don't need to go there but the but the point is really that we have to take back what that lens is going to be that we have to redefine that narrative um right. because you know a patriarchal society is never going to want us to do that ourselves it's it's part of it's part of where we're headed. It's part of our sociobiological evolution. And this is just the you know the final frontier in the arc of, of you
2: know
1: I, I, I'm I'm hesitant to use the word female health, but certainly uh, women identified health. Um, and being able to talk about this more frankly, to take the shame and the sting and the stigma out of it by talking about it—I mean, anything you shine a light on, uh, shine, shine, a, shine, a line on uh, shine a light on, shine a light on—is really is going to be quite helpful. I think in not just normalizing the experience but optimizing the conversation.
2: Mm. I have a, another question that's not on this doc, so. <laughs> I'll me. forgive you. My, it's, it's as I, when, Just from my own experience, when I was going through it in the beginning of it, I had so many younger friends. I just yeah. had always had younger friends. And if I would bring up like, or if I would hot flash or do anything, and I would always be a little ashamed. Like, yes. should I be scared of this? Should I not talk about it? And early on, I think I thought about it. We'd had different kinds of conversations. I'm like, I should talk about it, but I was super like, mm, I don't need anybody to know that I'm going through the pause right now Yeah, because I, number one, I couldn't get a job because I was transiting to a new job. I was having such a difficult freaking time saying I graduated in 1990, <laughs> you know, and then they were like, no, you really are not getting a job now. And when I listened to you, you just got so, you're so brave about it.
1: Oh, and I uh- think- you're so kind. Well, I'll tell you, I don't think it's brave, right? I, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you. I have a lot of younger friends as well. Um, and I realized how important it was for me to balance those friends with, with friends my age. That to me was very important. I believe very strongly in multi-generational uh, friendship and relationships. Part of the reason of which is, you know, sort of what I was saying before about the company, the values of the company can't reflect what was. The values of the company need to reflect what is co- becoming, right? And so when I talk to my friends who are younger, I understand the way they see race and gender uh, and you know socioeconomic issues uh, as systemic structures that uh, mm-hmm. don't really exist, right? And this right. idea of sexual fluidity, things like that, that to me are very important for us to learn from. And the other right. thing is that I have learned to be more transparent about myself by watching younger people do the same thing. Mm. That truly was the gift of permission where I thought, okay, this is something we can help to normalize. And while it may seem shocking to people our age, I want to be able to do that so that people our age will continue to see that it is okay. And I don't really see that as brave as much as I see that as adapting to new norms And to feel like a true sense of freedom in being able to, to, you know, look, one of the things that I say all the time is that when I started What Not To Wear, it was 2002. Mm -hmm. We we are in a very different place Mm -hmm. in in less than 20 years than where we were when I started that show. And when I started that show, I really believed there was much more of a need for how-to culture. Right, how to put an outfit together, how to design your room—you know, all of the how-to shows that, you know, channels like TH, uh, TLC, THC. <laughs> That's not a channel, <laughs> but like TLC and the Food Network and things like that right. were doing, <clears throat> which was all about teaching you how to do something. And the rise of the blogger and the influencer to me, really came out of a younger generation saying, I don't care about you being an expert. I don't care if you have 10,000 hours of expertise that makes you an expert, right? Unless you're a pilot or a doctor, like I'm not sure that really matters. But much more into this idea of me too, and not in the hashtag sort of more significant meaning uh, of that phrase, but me too, as in, I don't need expertise. I need shared experience. And if I like something that you like, that's enough of a connection for me to listen to what you might like next, because I am I am choosing people out of my own interests, not what I'm being told is what I'm supposed to like or what I'm supposed to wear. Mm. And I think that that difference has been really significant in the way that we see people interacting now on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook there is a leveling of the playing field in, in, in to some degree where it's not just about you know everybody's their own celebrity everybody is their own expert we don't need people to tell us what to do anymore that doesn't mean that advice isn't helpful but i think that we are we are we've come into our own in a very different way that is much more about finding people to share experience with rather than receive expertise from somebody you don't know.
2: Do you think with, when shining this light on this though, I think one of the biggest problems I've noticed over the years of having it is the misdiagnosis constantly by male doctors to women yeah. who come in. Cause I yeah. was misdiagnosed all the time. It was like, Oh, you've got arthritis or you no, know, it was gout. Then it was this, yeah. it was that. And I'm like, Oh no, it constantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think you know because there are a lot of symptoms that do uh, that can be experienced because of some part of the menopause transition and could be experienced due to aging, there are a lot of doctors that don't understand the difference. But what really bothers me are the doctors that don't consider the difference and that they just automatically assume it has to do with aging and not hormone health. And a perfect example of this was my, my sister, who is three years younger than me, is having really pretty extreme perimenopausal symptoms. And she went to the doctor and said, we need to take out your parathyroid. That's your problem. And I said, Nanny, before you get, her name's Nancy, I call her Nanny, (laughs) but um, I was like, before you get your parathyroid taken out, will you please, please go see a doctor, an OBGYN, primary care physician? I don't care who specializes in perimenopause. And since she lives in Chicago, she's very lucky. Northwestern has a menopause clinic. So she was able to make a, a health determination, not just by a second opinion, but by somebody who could see her symptoms through a different lens. And I think that is absolutely essential. And it is. Um, it, I think it's part of our responsibility to, to recommend and be able mm. to put people in touch with doctors, not just who are OBGYNs, not just who are about reproductive health, but endocrinologists, uh, neurologists, right. you know, people who understand the menopause experience from pre to peri to post- um, and are able to allow you again, information is, you know, the best arsenal you can have in your toolkit, um, to make choices about what your life is going to look like. If you're going to live to be 90 or hundred, because menopause is the start of other health issues that you need to take control of. And the decisions that you make now during Penny Perry and post-menopause are the things that are going to determine the quality of your life 40 years from now. So oh, that, that's an opportunity Even if it's hard, it's still an opportunity. And that is something that I really feel like strongly about uh, screaming from the rooftops. I get it.
2: Do you think having more women role models in midlife right now, like Kamala Harris, which is great, Brene Brown, et cetera, is making the awareness and richness and potential of the second half of life more apparent?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think without question. Um, you know, Brene Brown, uh, Cheryl Strayed, um, uh, uh, Tarana Burke, uh, Oma Shade, uh, Bernie Scott. I mean, these are women who are, you know, Glennon Doyle, perfect example. I mean, these are people who are sharing their truth in such a personal and such a, a wonderful way and being able to teach others. And, you know, frankly, we need we need more of them. Um, and I think that Again, the more you see people like this in the world, the more you will recognize that's exactly what you can be and that's exactly yeah. what you can aspire to be and that your, you know, your idea or your hobby can be something that you devote the rest of your life to. Um, and that a pivot or or at least finding, um, and I don't necessarily mean public success, but I mean personal success mm-hmm. in a very different way than maybe you'd experienced it previously, is not only possible, but probable. Yes. That's where I'd like us to get to. That's amazing. Do you
2: think women's value is largely tied to fertility and youth? Yes, you yes, yes.
1: <laughs> I yes. absolutely yes, do. So and so now that I'm no longer... <laughs> now that I'm no longer fertile or you you know young, um, I really see it. I really understand it. and And for me, it was something that never occurred to me because I always th- sort of thought of myself as, you know i never I never wanted to have children. And so, um, for me, losing the ability, the actual ability to have one, uh, while maybe not as important to me as it might be to some other people still stung because it's the, it's the absence of possibility that leaves a kind of secondary grief that if I wanted to, I couldn't, right. It's very different mm-hmm. from I can, but I, I don't want to, right. That's yeah, very, very yeah. different. And so to me, you know, it was losing that ability and it was losing that uh, sense of, you know, being the youngest person in the room to going to be being for the most part, the oldest person in the room um, and not feeling valued for that, not feeling valued for that experience or that wisdom, or, mm. you know, not being, nobody looks me up and down when I walk down the street now, you know, all the things that again, still are tied to this <laughs> patriarchal lens of sure. what attractiveness means. Right. And part of the reason, right we're so attracted to youth is because it is a symbol of fertility. It is, you know, sociobiology. We are still working with caveman software and it's like, young, <laughs> you can get them pregnant, old means you can't, you know? Um, and so I think in a lot of ways, our, our um, you know, societally, we have outgrown our biology. And that it's going to take a second for us to catch up. I think that there will be physiological changes. I think that, you know, the more that we are able to understand that, you know, women will be able to have children longer and that trans women will eventually be able to have children. I mean, when we think about things like that um, I, I really do think it is going to change the way that we view menopause. Now I have a friend who had a baby at 50 there are going to be people who mm. have children and then are up against menopause at the same time. I can't even imagine being perimenopausal with a child. I, 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 I mean, literally, I don't know what I would do with myself. So, you know, we're going to have to look at this <laughs> stage of hormonal health very differently the longer our fertility spans last. And I right. also think that, you know, the more that we start to uh, really, you know, again, in the healthcare system, it's not just that women's health is overlooked. It is the idea that trans health is overlooked. It is Mm -hmm. the idea that people of color are completely eradicated from the health lens. And it is so unjust and that we are finally starting to at least have that conversation out in the open um, to really talk about inequity, not just in a way that uh, benefits white women, um, that it, it it benefits people of all colors and all genders. That is something new. That is something that I have not seen before. And yeah. I am I I am ready and willing to jump on that bandwagon. That's me. I'm here for that. You've said that
2: menopause is physical, but also psychological, a grieving process, which is so true. Because and you're grieving so so alone. The grief yes. is like you're just stuck in your by yourself, not knowing. Can you expand on that and the process for you through these years of this? For you?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me personally, it was very complicated, right? Um, having spine surgery really did put me out for months. And the physical therapy was like incredibly hard. And that was just hard on me. That was just physically hard on me and psychologically hard on me. And losing my father, who really was an exceptional dad in the sense that, um, he was my biggest cheerleader, but more than that, you know, my parents got divorced when I was four. And from that time until he died, he called me every day of my life. And there are every day, even if I didn't pick up the phone would leave me a message. It's your father. (laughs) And I, you know, there were days where I was like, I don't want to talk to dad, but I knew like clockwork, he was going to call and he has two other daughters. He did the same thing for and losing him and not getting those calls. I didn't realize the kind of effect that grief would have on me. And I have had many friends who have lost a parent and there is no way to explain that feeling until you're there. And for, you know, even if your relationship is fraught with complication, even if you aren't close with that. Parent, oh, it's even losing, worse.
2: It, it can be worse than that. Yeah, even losing. A parent. I, my, yeah, I lost my dad, too.
1: You're I'm like, sorry, a twin. I'm so sorry. There really is. It really is. And this is also this is another thing about conflating age and menopause. But if you're coming to menopause chronologically, this is, you know, uh, my friends at, at uh, the fancy agency uh, who work with um Uh, companies for marketing to people over 40 in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, talk about this being the sandwich generation, right? Because not only (laughs) are we dealing with empty nest syndrome, possibly, we're also dealing with elder care or the loss of a parent. (gasps) And we're experiencing this physiological change that makes us feel crazy. So I found it very hard to separate grief from the physicality of it. I didn't realize there was a physicality to grief. Aside from perimenopause, I didn't recognize how my relationships would change, how much of little shit I was willing to put up with, how many friends and, you know, I lost after my dad passed away because I just thought there's not enough time for this. I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time with this. So there was a lot that, that happened for me in losing my dad and secondary grief. You know, that's primary grief. But secondary grief is looking in the mirror and not recognizing yourself anymore. And, you know, seeing the changes in my face, seeing the changes in my body, even, and not just seeing them, feeling them. And knowing that like, gosh, I wonder if I've gotten shorter. You know, like I feel feel like I'm kind of shrinking a little bit, (laughs) but only in the height area, not in the width area. You know what I mean? So there are a lot of things that I think the middle age and the common age of menopause, there's a lot of saying goodbye. There mm. is a lot of saying. It's so nice. Yeah. And, you know, goodbyes are, are bittersweet. It, 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 for the most part, it's always hard to say goodbye unless you're able to look ahead, right? Unless you're able to see something in the future that gives you hope. And it's the same thing with transformation. It's the same Mm. thing that I did with styling. You don't criticize people about what they're wearing unless you are saying to them that it is constructive and that you are trying to give them an alternative. And that's the thing I think that we don't do for people at this stage of life. We don't tell them what the alternative is to dwelling in goodbye. We don't give them the option of true positive messaging around what your future can look like at this stage. Mm -hmm. And that I think is something that I'm also out to change. And look, I may not be able to do it myself. It's not just about talking about it. It is about showing it. It's also the other reason that I wanted to take on this company. I am not in my last act. I am not anywhere close. If I'm in my third act, then it's a five act play. Like Mm -hmm. I am not... Done, and even though I hate saying that, I feel like that's condescending, this whole idea that uh, a certain aspect of our lives can be done, a certain aspect of the way we look can be done, a certain aspect of our uh, body's functionality may be done. That just doesn't mean, you know until you're in the ground, every day is a day you can do something. And right. I think that's what that's what we've really lost culturally.
2: Oh, completely. Ah somersault swimwear yes oh i get it girl
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: i mean I have, when i tell I you when I, I tell you two other friends in that campaign too my friend oh, really is in it and Nitika.
1: yeah Nitika is a great really very close friend of mine and i um, know
2: she's so sweet she's a little nugget bear
1: <laughs> she is. she's a little nugget bear that is exactly how i would describe her and the fact is when i first met her i was like oh no no no, no, you're way too sweet. No, no, this can't be. I was like, (laughs) forget it. I can't stand happy people like you. But she is one of the most genuine, most sincere, most deserving individuals um, who has, when she told me about her idea for Chronicon, I was like, you have just landed on your destiny. Like there is nothing more appropriate or better for her. And I have to say it was a real honor to be in the campaign at all. It was truly an honor to be in a campaign that Nitty is in because to me, that's just like a kind of special solidarity. But, um, Reshma, who, who's one of the founders of Somersault, you know, again, this is walking the walk. This is, you know, this is saying, Hey, we are not going to be representative of old school thoughts and, and thinking and, and marketing and advertising. We are going to meet this consumer way, where they're at, which is we want to see all different kinds of people. And I think I was the only person in my fifties. So I was kind of excited to be repping for, right. 50 year olds. <laughs> no, you know, not just because I was in my fifties and menopausal, you know, just this idea of we walk among you. You don't know what a menopausal person looks like. You have no idea what a menopausal person looks like because we power the fuck through. So I, we walk among you every day. Don't (laughs) tell me a a menopausal person looks like Judy Dench. Okay. (laughs) He's way past menopause. So if you don't know what it looks like, this is what it looks like. And I felt really strongly about that. So true. Can you
2: speak about the collective buying power of women in midlife and beyond and the importance of brands aligning their messages
1: with authenticity? And look, I don't know, you know, I am not a brand builder. I did not come to this as a brand builder. I did not come to this as a marketer. I am not... I did not enter this because somebody said to me, oh, it's a $600 billion renewable market. Like, that's great. I would love our company to be successful, but that's not for me. I'm not building the company to be um, uh, a way in which to separate you from your money. I'm just not, the buying power of this age group is astronomical. And for me, that is one of the least important things about doing this company. I want women to come, people, I want people to come to this company and understand that we are there to help. And what that means is I'm willing to do that even by collaborating with other companies, not necessarily for any kind of rev share, but to meet the needs of the community by, with mm. products that we don't make yet. And so absolutely, I believe in the buying power of this demographic. Absolutely. Of course, of course. And there's not enough there for them. So I am, I, you know, but I am hoping that our, our ethics and our value system also reflect the fact that we are not trying to take you for your money. We are not trying to say you're going to look younger or more beautiful. That is, that is (laughs) yours to own. And if you are looking for that, you know, there are great plastic surgeons in the world. No judgment. What I want is for you not to feel uncomfortable while you are experiencing these symptoms because discomfort makes us feel ashamed. It makes us feel um, embarrassed and it, it, it interrupts, you know, what we should be doing in our daily lives. That's more important to me than whether or not you have wrinkles. Right. It's, it can be really
2: scary <laughs> if you don't know what's happening to you. Any Absolutely. advice to women? any advice that you can give to women to better learn and accept their minds and bodies for the transition through their life?
1: I think part of it need part of the answer to that. I mean, is one we need to do the work around the societal systemic issues concerning aging and, and menopause. And, you know, I think part of the reason they get conflated is because chronologically you come to menopause in middle age and somehow that has taken it's really they're interchangeable in this idea that 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 people have an expiration date that is mm-hmm. not death, right? That they they have a mini-death before they die. Right. And That's I think the, there's a, a lot of a societal lens that we need to kind of change that we're looking through right now. But more importantly, I think that people who want to help change this conversation truly need to be taking responsibility for what the arc of their healthcare looks like over their lives. And mm. where they are not able to do that by themselves, particularly in underserved communities of color and, and certainly gender non-binary in the trans community, we need to be helping them understand the entire arc of their health life. It, it, is, you know, it is ridiculous to reduce any person to their reproductive health. That is not what is going on here. You know, it is unfortunate that if you are physiologically female, your hormones are like a wavy line. And for the most part, men who are, you know, people who are physiologically men have pretty consistently straight line hormones. They don't dip, they don't rise, they don't. And we are putting a value judgment as if a straight line is more important and better than a wavy line. And so to me, that's exactly where we get this sort of gender iniquity to begin with. Mm. And it's something that we need to think about. If we are reducing people to their reproductive physiology, we are not actually reducing people to people. We are reducing right. them to one mechanism in the human body. And that is not that should not be a value judgment. Exactly.
2: So tell me what the best
1: products are. I'm going to get on there and I'm going to buy that shit up. Okay. (laughs) Well, tell me so you know you can shop on the site by symptom, which is I think you know one of the things that was very very important because you may not know what you need. And the one thing that um that I do this is you know I just got (laughs) I just got diagnosed with perimenopausal rosacea. Very exciting. Oh, Um, what the fuck is that about now? Hormones happening. Fucking hormones. It's like puberty (laughs) in reverse. I. And I was like, honestly, I've had really good skin my whole life. I mean, aside from the psoriasis, I'm just talking about on my face. And so I'm sort of devastated. I was really like, really? You're going to pile this on top of all the other shit? Okay. Um, And I just, you know, for full transparency, I could not take hormones. Um, so I really experienced very severe and continue to experience severe perimenopausal symptoms, not at the rate at which I was experiencing them maybe a year or two ago, okay. but they haven't tapered off that much. Um, mm. so this, these products really did help me. And before I was diagnosed with per, you know, real rosacea, I started to notice that my skin was getting hot and red. Mm. Um, so for me, the cooling products are ideal. Like I use the cooling spray as a toner and it also keeps my skin cooler. And then I use the face oil and then I use the cooling gel. And that just not only does it keep keep my skin from being really dry and itchy, it it cools the rosacea. And I'm sure I'll need some kind of prescription at some point, but just for, you know, over the counter, it really helped me significantly and the gotcha. other thing that I think is um, everybody loves the Arnica hand cream because it's for joint pain, but I use it on my Help knees me. and my ankle, oh. my elbows, wherever I have joint pain. And I find it to be really helpful. If I'm really suffering, I use our CBD body oil with, and then the Arnica on top to seal it. All of those things are actually helpful. And then in terms of the um, the hydration, right? Cause we all get super dry skin in perimenopause. Mm. Um, yeah. The body lotion, to me, it's whipped. So it's very lightweight. It packs a super ton of hydration into your skin, but it's not sticky. It absorbs instantly. So if you have a night sweat, you will not wake up in a pile like of. Like this? Milk. Yeah. <laughs> You will not wake up in worse. a pile of dew. And that I think is super important. As we as we start to look at the other products that we want to make for the line and all of the issues that we're trying to solve for, that's why we wanted people, you know, if you have cystic acne, look, it, the, the cooling gel face, face moisturizer is much better for you than the rich cream right. because it doesn't block your pores as much. And we're going into hot flash summer. All of the cooling <laughs> products are going to be great for hydration and for hot clashes. And I think right. those are the type of things I want our products to be multifunctional.
2: That's amazing. The other thing that I'm always looking for is that when I saw your spray, I was like, that's the thing. You just stick it in your
1: bag. I just, every bag it, I, it I own, on. <laughs> every bag I own. Otherwise then I'm worrying about where it is. I keep one in the Madison cabinet. One on the nightstand and one in every bag. Now, I mean that you know maybe that's going a little far, but it is my company, so I I figure I you know I might as well stock up. But I do think that uh, especially during the summer, you know, and we're using peppermint oil and menthol oil, but not in a way that is medicinal. It is for the cooling properties, not for the properties you associate with like Vicks Vapor Rub. So you know what, like whenever anybody says menthol to me, I just remember trying to cough up phlegm. Uh, This is not that and 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 it's an important distinction when you're looking at products we try to use the best in class of truly the most natural products that we can find in terms of what the active ingredients are going to be because nobody is reinventing the wheel here and as far as i'm concerned there are a lot of companies that are brand building companies that have marketers that are the ceos who are telling you things that they've created some new patented this or that or the other oh, thing there's and so most of much it is bullshit
2: now you have i i have I mean, obviously they're listening to me on my freaking phone because I'm just getting nothing but menopause cream, menopause cream, menopause cream. I mean, definitely. I tried to test one
1: with my girlfriend. (laughs) We were like, flowers, 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 and nothing came up. So I'm like, maybe they don't, maybe they know when you're, when you're You're actually doing it on purpose. But you know, it's not just that you're getting um, all these ads for menopause creams. It's that, you know, there are so many creams that make these claims that are patently untrue. (laughs) And I think that we really have to be careful with the way that we talk to this community because when when somebody (coughs) excuse me when somebody feels desperate they will try anything and I don't believe that I don't want to sell under those circumstances. If you're desperate, then I want to be able to inform you before you make a choice about your health and you make a choice about what product you want to buy. Instead of we've got you. We're going to solve this for you and not really make good on that promise.
0: You can learn more about our amazing guest and get show notes at consciouslyonbias.com listen. And we want to hear from you. Please subscribe and rate Breaking the Bias on iTunes and Spotify and drop us a note to let us know if there's a topic that you'd really want to hear about or a guest that you'd love to see on the show. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias.